BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Made by BBC Sports for BBC Sounds. The Sports Desk. I'm Sarah Mulcairns. I'm Dan Rowan. And I'm Nesta McGregor. And we present The Sports Desk, the weekly podcast that explores the biggest news stories in sport and the human issues behind them. So far, we have covered the future of sport in Afghanistan and super shoes in athletics. An Olympics like no other recorded on location in Tokyo and COVID vaccine hesitancy among sports stars. The secrets of the age-defying athlete, Alaton Brady and Cristiano Ronaldo and we asked did Simone Biles change the game on mental health that is the sports desk on BBC Sounds hit subscribe and a new episode will appear every Friday the sports desk from BBC Sports available now on BBC Sounds now back to your podcast the Ashes is the ultimate prize in English cricket no is it is it the Ashes yes England have won the Ashes up comes Botham now he bowls to Alderman I know them Bowls to Stokes, who hammers it for four! And stands there with the back raised. That is the most extraordinary innings ever, ever been played by the English. England have only won once in Australia in the last 34 years. Eight series, one victory. And we're underway, finally. Armisen from the far end bowls the first ball of the series. Oh my word, it's gone straight to second slip. What a horrible start. From the last 10 tests England have played there, they've lost nine, drawn one, won none. It's all over. Australia have won a crushing victory by an innings of 123 runs. They saved the biggest steamroller for last year. This will be my ninth Ashes tour for the BBC, but I've never really found out just what goes on behind the scenes to prepare a team for the ultimate test and how much planning and preparation it takes. So over the last year, I've been speaking to the people who are in charge of England's attempts to win down under. Those who will play a big part on the pitch. You need to make sure that work goes in a couple of years ahead of being out in Australia. It's loud and it's a high percentage of Australians there and they let you know that they don't like you. To come up against this baggy green thing that they keep talking about, we'll be having my baggy blues on, I'd love to stick one up them. And off the pitch. We're in constant dialogue with Cricket Australia around details such as what nets we've got, middle wicket capabilities, access to net bowlers at a certain period. One of them laughed because they saw me doing it and they said, why, why are we removing the Frosties? I was like, we're not eating Frosties before a game, but... We're just trying to make sure that when we get off the plane in, in Australia, that the lads are kind of leaner, faster, and more robustly fit than ever before. This is Project Ashes. It's January 2021. Joe Root's in Sri Lanka. He's just scored a brilliant double century to help England win a test match in Gaul. And he's hard sweep through mid-wicket. going to run away to the boundary. That's it. 200 for Joe Root. It's his fourth double hundred. It's been an absolutely splendid innings. I'm not in Gaul. I'm at home in Leicestershire, trying to make the Wi-Fi work. Thanks for doing this, mate. Now, look. Um, oh, hang on. Where have you gone? <laughs> I pressed the wrong button. Still there. Yes. This is a nice, sorry. Try to turn the volume up. Um, I've had a few technical issues working from home, as you may have heard. Joe's frozen there. Oh, God. <laughs> we get there, eventually. OK, Joe, well, let's start from the very beginning. Do you look upon this year as being the biggest of your career? I'd say so. I'd say um, the amount of cricket that we've got, the, the challenges that this year presents for a number of different reasons, I think it probably is. And with it being a big year, that presents great opportunity and um, certainly viewing it in that manner. And I uh, feel like we've 
we've done everything we can coming into it to be in a very good place to give ourselves a really good chance of having some good success. They're the sort of years that you, you really want to, to grab by the scruff of the neck, have a real influence on individual games and, and win some really big series and, and tournaments. And as a team, you, you look at that and think, well, what a great opportunity it is for us to, to show everyone what, what we're capable of and, and turn what's been a very promising couple of years into, a, I suppose, a coming of age for our, for our team. I think there's a number of things um, that not only will aid us very well, or I believe will aid us very well when we get out to Australia, but will aid us anyway in test cricket. Things like the way we look to play the game, trying to make really big first inning scores. Um, and it's something that we've got better at over the last year and a half or so. You're starting to see, I think, six out of the last 12 occasions we've made scores of over 400. Uh, and we're becoming more and more consistent at doing that, which I think is really important. I think one thing as well as finding, finding ways to take wickets abroad has been a real challenge for us in previous tours and previous years. And over the last couple of years, we have made strides in that, in that area as well. So there are things that has, that has aided that, whether it's the balance of the side, the balance of the attack, um, the personnel that we've, we've gone with. I think they've all sort of come together nicely to this point and we are very aware that there's still a lot of hard work and, and things that need to be done if we're going to be even better at it um, and you know be able to be consistent with that. So the challenge over the next period is to to try and be even better than we have been previously on executing those things. But we're certainly heading in the right direction. Let's try and get insight into how you're thinking. How 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 close are you in your mind to having that first test team in at the Gabba? <laughs> and what spots have, can, can you see? What vacancies can you see? But I mean, have you got any idea at all yet as to how many you've got in your mind? Try not to look at an, an 11, I try and look at a squad um, and try and look at how many, how many players we'll need in each, in each position, batting order, whether it be um, as a pace attack, spinners, uh, keepers, try and split it up like that and see how many players we'll need uh, ready to go and, and match Harden for a tour of Australia. You know, at the minute, if everyone stays fit, we, we are looking very promising. There will be opportunities for guys to get more games under their belt and, and to, to really push a case, show that they've got what it takes to perform at test cricket and at test level, which I think, you, you know, you can't ready yourself for an Ashes tour other than by playing lots of test cricket. Um, so those games and those opportunities could be crucial in terms of having guys, even in, within the squad, that have, have got good experience under their belt um, ahead of that tour. The day I speak to Root is a significant one. While he's in Sri Lanka and I'm in Melton Mowbray, events the night before in Brisbane have shaken the cricket world. Three needed, and Richard Pant is about to explode at this ball, I think. Hazelwood goes in, and he gets a full toss, and he drives it through mid-off. It's going down towards the boundary. It's going to go for four. It's all over. India have won. India have won magnificently. You could say this is one of the greatest wins India have ever had in their test history. Australia had just lost a home series to an India team ravaged by injury. India chased down 328, but significantly for England, it meant Australia had lost their first test at the Gabba, where the Ashes will start since 1988. One thing that India did extremely well, I feel, is they showed great character, they showed great resilience and courage. I think that's one of our best traits. So. I feel that, that that could really play to our favour if, if we handle ourselves well up to that point. 
Sir Alistair Cook has played against Australia 35 times and he's won the Ashes four times. So he knows a thing or two about what a captain has to do to prepare for Australia. You do start planning, but you just still don't know what's happening day to day. You've got to, it's such a, it's such a balance because you keep, you look forward, you say, right, you look at the Ashes, right, that's in two years' time, but you can't take your eye off what's happening right now. The big area where they will probably spend a lot of their time will be the bowling unit and making sure if, if they can, would get all their seven or eight bowling options fit for November. That's that will be their ultimate aim, won't it? In terms of the Test cricket, will make sure that they they can pick. They've got everyone available to pick from, and whichever and then whichever combination they choose, they can choose that probably the day before, two days before. But that that's what the, in an ideal world, Chris Silverwood and, and Joe Root would want to get all of those guys fit and ready to go. And Australia will be exactly the same, you know, making sure their their four, you know, their their pace bowlers are coming Stark and Hazelwood with Lyon backing them up, are fit for that November thing. Because if they're not, if one of those is missing, that's a massive advantage to England. If you're Joe Root now, would you would you be excited about the, the prospect for, for the winter? Do you think um, that he'll, he'll feel England can do it? I, I do think he does. Because, A, of what's just happened with what India have done, and India have shown England how to... To, to win in Australia and you have to be so resilient and so patient to take the game deep and if England can do that we know this Australian side doesn't handle the pressure that well the history suggests over the last couple of years that they don't do it that well Headingley is a prime example so despite being in the subcontinent Ashes planning is definitely underway uh, we've been planning about the Ashes for a long time now I think you need to I think you really do need to look far ahead and you need to make sure that Work goes in a couple of years ahead of being out in Australia. And we've, since the last Ashes, been looking very closely at what we need to do to build a team that's going to win in those conditions. Of course, that's all happening quietly in the background and happening behind the scenes and away from the limelight. They will serve us very well when those games come round. So those things that are happening quietly behind the scenes, there's one man in charge of most of them. You might not have heard of Mo Bobat. He's a former PE teacher from Leicestershire. He's younger than Jimmy Anderson, but he has one of the most important jobs in English cricket. He works with the head coach, Chris Silverwood. Chris and I started at pretty much the same time, actually. So we've been able to forge our roles and our role clarity between us at the same time together, really. So the simplest way to describe it is Chris obviously focuses on the match and the series in front of him. And given the fact that we're always playing cricket, he's always on and he's always trying to win games of cricket. And I guess my, my role is to support him with the medium and the long term, you know, Player preparation for the next series is, is probably that medium term. And, and then when, when I mentioned the longer term stuff, that's, I guess, my leadership oversight of our, our pathway. So that's the Lions programme, the Young Lions or Under-19 programme, but also lots of other functions that underpin some of that work. So I oversee our elite coaching team and I deploy those coaching resources to Chris and the senior team, uh, performance analysis, talent identification, and also our national base, which is our performance centre. So quite a broad remit for the longer term stuff. So when do you start planning for, for, for this Ashes tour then? Chris and I started almost immediately as we started our roles. So we started in sort of October, November 2019, off the back of what was an amazing summer, as we all remember. Mm. But, but, you know, as soon as we started our roles, we knew that we were building towards this winter. Uh, we obviously had... At that stage, we thought we had a T20 World Cup last year, another one this year, but they both got bumped down the road. So we always knew we were dealing with, you know, some real important competitive challenges. But the Ashes was obviously, you know, 
you know, front and centre for us is something that we wanted to build towards and prepare for as well as we can. And where do you start? Can you imagine, you know, remember, can you remember what the first thing that you did was really? From the outset, really, we had some plans around how we would approach this and do this differently and hopefully be more successful than we have done in the past. You know, we're, in, we're under no illusions, you know, in our last 10, 10 tests, we're 9-0 down. So we know how tough a challenge it is. Straight away, Bobat and his team looked to get the extended squad experience of Australian conditions. Back at the start of 2020, before COVID, before bio-bubbles, quarantines and everything else, after the South Africa Test Series, England took the Lions team. That's the team of test hopefuls and up-and-coming players to play an unofficial test match at the MCG. And playing in that game were Zach Crawley, Dom Sibley, Dan Lawrence and Ollie Robinson. I remember spending time talking to each of them about their programme and saying to them, look, you're going to have done really well in South Africa and you feel like you're in an England shirt right now, but I still want you to come out on this Lions trip to Australia. And I realised that it's going to add cricket to your winter and you've got enough on and you're probably ready for a break. But the reason we want to take you out to Australia is we want you to bank some of that experience so that, you know, Zach, when you walk out at the MCG to bat, you feel like you've done that before. Uh, and they really bought into that. To be fair to all of them, they had a really busy winter with England in South Africa, but they all understood the logic of, well, if we, if we bank some game time in Australia, we'll get used to conditions, we'll get used to what it's like to be there. Even, you know, the intimidating, what can be an intimidating arena like the MCG, you know, spend some time training and playing there. And obviously we did pretty well on that trip. That Lions match showed Bobat who might be able to perform well in Australian conditions and therefore possibly in the Ashes. If we look at the batters, one of the things we knew was that history tells us that debuting a batter in the Ashes is a bad idea. Uh, there aren't many examples of it working particularly well. So, so we wanted to try and transition players into roles so that they were relatively well established and experienced by the time they got so take someone like Dan Lawrence as an example if you if you talk about how details is this planning banking some Australia experience in him and challenging him at Lions level was one of the things we wanted to do he came through that with flying colours the question you then say to yourself is okay if he's someone who might fulfill a role at the Ashes when do you want him to debut because you don't want him to be at the Gabba so you then work out over the course of that period when do you want to give him an experience I think also we try and be specific around when's a good debut and that's different for everyone, but we know Dan's a strong player of spin. So debuting in the subcontinent for him was probably not a bad idea. Okay, so let's try and get him some game time there. Oh, here we go, well, Mr. Here Yes, indeed. Debut, the debut yeah. man, Dan tricky, Lawrence. Tricky, tricky. Ball spinning in Sri Lanka. <laughs> Couple of spinners, men round the bat. Good luck. There'll be nerves. There will be nerves, exactly, on test debut. And then all of a sudden you arrive at the Ashes where he's played a few games and he's not new to him, and, and that's that's the type of planning you do. Yeah, Lawrence goes back into his crease, cuts nicely off his first ball into the covers, and he's off the mark Good straight lad. away. Well done. To Lawrence on 49, Lawrence clips this. There's no mid on in, it's an easy single, and Lawrence gets exactly what he was looking for, a maiden yeah. half-century. He's 50 not out from 95 balls. The applause from the England team backup staff and that's a great moment for Dan Lawrence. Yeah. Well played Dan Lawrence, he's come in there and looked completely at home hasn't he? We did a similar analysis for fast bowlers, now being fresh or debuting in an Ashes seems to be less of an issue for bowlers, there are examples of us having done that in the past and it working okay but the bigger thing for them is, is how do you get the right bandwidth of cricket into them so take someone like Ollie Robinson or Craig Overton or even what we tried to do with Ollie Stone you're trying to make sure that they play the right volume and frequency of games over the course of two years leading into it and we did all the analysis on what that amount of cricket looks like you try and match that as closely and well as you can and you know that, that includes the number of times they bowl 40 overs 
the number of times they breach 30 overs, you know, all those sorts of things we look at and you try and manage that as closely and accurately as you can. But you're always reacting to things that derail you, always. So 2021 gets off to a good start for England. Bairstow sweeps out towards a deep square leg. It beats the infield, hits the boundary and Johnny Bairstow hits the winning runs for England. They've done it. They've won by seven wickets. One to win. He flicks it away through mid-wicket. There it is. Sibley hits the winning run. England have won by six wickets after a dramatic fourth day in which Sri Lanka collapsed and England held their nerve. Three consecutive wins, two in Sri Lanka and then one in India, the captain in the form of his life. But even in Chennai and Ahmedabad, with the ashes seemingly a million miles away, Mark Wood told me that they had an eye on what they'd face down under. Behind the scenes, we're building up to, to be prepared. It's no good going there and like two weeks before and thinking right now we're going to Australia. So from my point of view, it's how I'm going to use my skill set in those conditions, what I can do. You know, I'm not going to give you a cliched answer or a TV answer. I think you are always looking at the big moments, whether it's World Cups or Champions Trophies or Ashes. They're always in the back of your mind, uh, big series in India, stuff like that. So, um, you know, we've been doing little things myself with Paul Collingwood on working on my baton for what I can expect in the Ashes. Now, that was in India. So um, I'm not, I'm not going to give you a, a, an answer that would be an interview answer. I'm going to say yes. It's in the back of my mind, and yes, I'd love to be on that tour. Yeah, well, that's well, that's natural, isn't it? Really, because you do have to plan ahead, don't you? I mean, I, I, and, and talk about it because it is it's it's a big deal, isn't it? It is. It, it, it does. It does kind of drive what 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 we all do to to an extent. It is. It is. It is ultimate. So, batting with Paul Collingwood is a lot of stuff around your nose, is it? Presumably. Well, it's that sort of Australian back of a length stuff, and obviously bouncers and things like that. But it, mainly for me, it's working around that sort of back of a length, which is that hard, constant length that the Australians bowl. Hazelwood length. Yeah, the top of the stumps. And trying to get better there. If I can keep them ones out, then, you know, the bouncer is something, obviously, that Australians do target the tail in Australia. That's natural. We know that's coming. So I'll be working on that as well. Um, Luckily for me, I can can dish a few of that out as well. So... um, That doesn't seem to bother them, though, does it? It doesn't, but they, like yeah. I say, they're used to that condition. Yeah. So, you know, we've got to work out a way of us to get better in those conditions. They're used to it, they, they play it well. Um, we talk about Australians being typically very good between sort of shoulder and hip area, the pull shot sort of chest area. So we've got to we've got to work out where best to bowl at them and how we can get them out because they're used to that area so much. And, of course, we're not, so we've got to get better at that area. They're winning matches, the captain's in great nick, and they're getting those big first-inning scores that are going to be key in Australia. But this is going to be one of the busiest years of English cricket ever. 16 test matches scheduled and with a T20 World Cup before the Ashes. Not only that, but players are having to limit themselves to bio-bubbles since last summer. And I'll be honest, they're not much fun. I think within it, there's going to be different challenges. As you say, mentioning bubbles and the schedule being as it, as it is and the amount of games, we're going to have to be quite smart and shrewd with selections and resting players and making sure that the welfare of players is, is right at the forefront of every decision that we make. But if we balance that out well and guys throw everything into each game, then and we will give ourselves the best possible chance. And everyone's bought into that. And you know, we, we've just got to make sure that we... When we get opportunities to, to really drive games home, we, we get ruthless and we see it through. Some of it is completely out of my hands. It's really important that they get the opportunity to, 
go and play and make sure they do everything they can to win that World Cup. It's really important that we put our strongest sides out as often as possible, and especially in major tournaments. And of course, the Ashes is hugely important. And it's a massive deal for me personally as captain, um, but so is the World Cup. England going and performing well in major tournaments, uh, I'm desperate to see us go and win that World Cup. Um, and it means that our best players will have to be there. But it will also mean probably that Australia's best players will be there as well. Uh, and they'll be facing similar challenges, similar problems. We can sit there, feel sorry for ourselves if there's an injury or two in that, in that World Cup. But what we can do is make sure that we've got plenty of options. We've got guys that are ready, um, have proven themselves in test cricket, that if, uh, if guys aren't fit or uh, are tired, they can come in and do what is required to win games of cricket in Australia. England had a plan to look after their players. Those who play in all formats were going to be rested from various tests. Stokes, Butler, Archer, Wood and many more sat out various parts of England's subcontinental tour. But it wasn't a popular policy, especially when England started losing. Could you imagine Josh Butler had scored a double hundred in that first test match? Or someone scores a double hundred and then goes home? Would it be the same case? You know, when England turn up to face Australia, will there be people resting? I don't think that they they had a great opportunity going to India to really sort of stamp, uh, you know, what they were about. You know, going to play the best side in the world in their own backyard. You know, what I mean, I think perhaps they should have thought to themselves, right? Well, listen, let's pick a test team, let's pick a, a squad to stay there for the for the duration of the test side. Make that clear to people, you know, are you on board with this? You know, because we're going to go there and we've got a great chance to really sort of like achieve something over in India. And I think that they've just sort of like let this opportunity slip a little bit through their fingers. We all know that people in bubbles and everything, but then perhaps Josh Butler shouldn't have then gone to Sri Lanka and sort of like then committed to the four tests in India, Mm. you know. And, And so there are so many different connotations now that it's almost like, just a whirlpool of players and you're just sort of like picking people out and asking too much of them just to pop in and pop out. It's not like a game of football where, you know what I mean, you know, there are players of similar standards. You, The Josh Butlers of this world and, and these kind of people are the world-class players. So as you say, if they go into a test match against New Zealand without the Ben Stokes, without the Josh Butler, without these kind of guys, it's almost saying, well, you know... We're just we're we're not playing our best side, you know. What I mean, it's a bit like the FA Cup. Oh, we're not taking this seriously. And you've got to take representing your country at Test match cricket as the pinnacle. You can't bob in and bob out of it. It's it's just a feeling of sort of like oh crikey, we, you know, England were one nil up. They were on this pathway. They'd won six Tests out of six. They'd gone to India, smashed India in the first Test match, and then it sort of like very very quickly all fell apart in the second Test match. England lost the series 3-1 and their head coach Chris Silverwood was defensive of the policy when I caught up with him at the end of the series. You look at the amount of cricket that we've played and the amount of cricket we've got in front of us, we've got to be proactive in looking after our players and making sure that we, we keep them as fresh as possible so we can, we can keep them going as long as possible as well. We talk about working his way to the ashes. I want the squad to arrive there in fit form, both physically and mentally, to be honest. Uh, so again, that's going to be a tough toll, we know that. And it's one that obviously we're prioritising, so I want to make sure that everybody arrives at that point in as good a place as possible. So we we have to look after our players. Can we just distinguish the difference between rotation and bubble fatigue and rest? There is clearly a difference between those two things. There is, but they're clearly linked as well. We do need to keep them fresh and firing because test matches do come thick and fast in difficult conditions, especially here. 
But equally, to keep the, the players mentally fresh is very important as well because you want them when they're out on the park, you want them to be concentrating on the cricket in front of them. You want them to be happy, you want to be settled. And sometimes that means seeing your family. And it's, it's difficult, you know what I mean? And the families want to see, you know what I mean, the dads, the husbands, or whoever it is as well, you know what I mean? So it's, I think that we've done it to the best of our ability. I think it's worked. You know what I mean? It's certainly something we'll, we'll reflect on as well. Obviously, uh, after this tour, to make sure that we are getting things right, is there anything we can learn from it? And obviously try and do things as well as possible moving forward as well. The, the, the going home seems to be therefore more family-driven, is that right, than, than bubble life? Because I'd imagine that that life in the Indian hotels on this trip, once you'd done your quarantine, wouldn't actually have been that much different, and I'm guessing, because they're not there, you have to tell me, but wouldn't actually, I don't think, have been that much different to a normal tour of that part of the world, would it? I mean, you don't go wandering down the high street to find a restaurant to eat in the evenings uh, in Ahmedabad. It is very hotel-driven, so it, it was more an opportunity for family life rather than bubble fatigue, if you like in my eyes, one is hand in hand with the other. But one thing that we haven't got here is a choice to better go out. You know, I mean, in, in days gone by, you may have chosen not to go out, but at the moment, we haven't got a choice. And we are stuck in the hotel, between the hotel and the ground. Everybody misses their family. The families miss the players that are here. And I think it's important that when there's no family time and there's no, you know, I mean, we, we can't get the families to the players as we normally would. I think it's important that we do our very best to get the players back to the family and use that as a family time. Given that it is 3-1, I just wonder realistically how much damage, if that's the right word, or how much jolting off course realistically this series has done for your preparations, as you said, for that key series in Australia coming up. I mean, does it actually, will it alter anything? It won't alter our outlook and what we're trying to achieve now. Again, it'll just go down to an experience and help galvanise the side, really. We've got some fine young players in that side. Crawley, Gisibli, Pope, obviously Lawrence. And I think the experience and, and seeing these conditions and playing in different parts of the world, hopefully we see them reap the wars in, in Australia and help us, uh, help us win the ashes there. Fast forward several months. It's now November. It's the day before the first load of England players are about to fly to the ashes. Mo Bobat, the man who was so instrumental in setting up the rest and rotation policy, still stands by it. When we started planning for this two or three year cycle, you know, the volume of cricket that we play relative to other teams as well, there's a significant difference. You know, in the last year or two, we've literally played twice as much cricket as the likes of Australia and New Zealand. Mm. Twice as much is no exaggeration. We probably played a third more than India as well. You know, we're way out there in terms of the amount of cricket we've played. And actually, if you just think of the COVID era and international sport, I don't think there's an international sports team that's done as much as we've done. That what you need to be able to do probably is to, we've always said that you need to beat the schedule as well as beating your opposition. That's the reality of what we're faced with at the minute. So when you're trying to design a strategy for how you do that, I think good strategy is about prioritisation. So you have to start off by making some difficult decisions and having some difficult conversations around where must we be at our best? It's a bit like British cycling saying they're going to prioritise the Olympics and not spending too much energy on the world championships. They do that and they turn up at the Olympics and they deliver. And, you know, mm. for us going into this year, we've got two Olympic Games. One was the World Cup and one was the Ashes is the reality of it. So you, you have to make some difficult decisions. Now, I must stress that that doesn't mean we don't want to win in these other games and these series. And it doesn't mean that we want to devalue any of that. Far from it. You know, some of the accusations that got levelled at us as we were devaluing test cricket because of resting and rotating, we're doing the total opposite. We're trying to make sure that when we want to win our test matches, we're thriving and we're ready to go. And we realise that's challenging. But just even recently, hearing some of the Indian players' response to their World Cup experience at the minute, 
it was only the other day I heard Jasper Bumra talk about the fact that needing a break, needing to spend time with your family, being on the road for six months, fatigue and bubble fatigue. Now, when I heard a lot of that, clearly you, you feel and empathise for, for him as a, as a cricketer who's going through that and some of the, the team. But I thought to myself, it made me feel glad and grateful that we made some of those difficult decisions around someone like Joss, who's currently thriving at the World Cup. And Tamir is on his way to the last ball of the innings and he goes and bowls to Butler. That must have gone, surely! Over deep square leg, 4-6, and for Butler's 100, from 67 balls, a brilliant innings. He spent good time with his family. We made some tough calls around some of the cricket that he plays. Well, maybe that's the return on investment that we're getting. And so what do I think of the policy aggers? I think it's exactly the right thing that we had to do if we wanted to give ourselves the best chance of achieving our competitive aims, which was the World Cup and the Ashes. It doesn't guarantee success, but I think we can at least look at it and go, it gives us the best chance of making sure that our, our playing assets are fresh and ready to go. Do you get input from the players? I mean, is that a way of getting the players involved in it, you know, to try and explain to the fast bowlers, listen, lad, this is, this is, this is actually, you may not think so, and you, this may be your 63rd cap or something that you're actually going to miss out, but in the end, you, it, it's, it's the right thing. Absolutely that. And that is a really important point, I guess, that you know, we periodically sit down and do performance kind of reviews or appraisals with the players. And, and typically that they'd involve myself, Ash, Chris, and in the past, Ed Smith, who would have been obviously national selector at the time. And that's exactly the conversation that we have, Aggers. And, you know, we put the schedule in front of someone like Joss and say, look, Joss, you're going to have to see your family at some stage. What does that look like? Same question for whether that's Jimmy, Jimmy Anderson or Stuart Broad. Like they're the types of questions we need to ask them and get their input in. And, you know, in most cases, we arrive at a similar conclusion uh, and what that programme might look like. So, yeah, totally. They, they, they must have a say in that and they must be able to contribute to that decision making. Definitely. Was it a difficult thing to sell to the public as well? I mean, I mean there are times, I've been critical at times where, you know, people have paid 120 quid to go and see a one day game and they've been looking forward to it for ages with their mate and two or three of the you know, main players aren't there and they feel, oh, okay. I mean, a lot of people take it the other way. They say, oh, we'll, we'll see some, some, some new players and so on. But I'm thinking in terms of how it was explained. I mean, there was that bit of a mix up with Moeen, for instance, wasn't there, when he, he went back. I mean, was it... So did that all make the sort of rest and rotation a difficult thing to sell to the likes of, well, likes of me and, and the public and people who listen to me? In many ways, it is a hard sell. First and foremost, I guess I'm an England cricket fan and I, I want to see every time we take the field, we feel like we've got what is our strongest team. But you come back to that phrase, well, well, what is your strongest team within the context of everything you're trying to achieve? That's the bit that I suppose you hope that people understand and appreciate, that your strongest team is relative to your opposition, the conditions that you're facing, form and fitness and also what we're trying to win over the course of six months or a year I don't think you can simply just look at it in that really simple way of well our strongest 11 today because the schedule won't enable us to win what we need to win it just simply won't so you know could we have explained that differently or better maybe uh, but I think ultimately there's always there's always challenges and you don't get everything right but I think the intent is definitely something that I would stand by. You've also got to look at in the winter, you know, we, we've had periods where we've got concurrent series going on. You physically can't pick your strongest team. Now, even this winter alone, we will, during the fifth Ashes test, we're playing white ball cricket in the West Indies. We, we can't physically, you know, like we, we physically can't pick our strongest team or what would be deemed our strongest team by anybody, you know, because the multi-format players will, will have to make some decisions about where they are. So it, it isn't as straightforward as that. So, so look, I, I don't think rest and rotation has stopped 
And I prefer it to call it player management. What we're trying to do is manage our players individually and collectively so that we look after their best interests as well as looking after England's cricket, England cricket's best interests. We're going to get some of that right and some of that wrong, I think. You promised me that the Test players are going to still playing the Ashes and not playing a one day in the West Indies, aren't you? I'm, I'm pretty sure I can say what we'll be prioritising <laughs> at that stage. <laughs> and it's easy to forget, it's not just the players that have been rested. We've had to do the same with staff. I've got a team of coaches and support staff. Well, which analyst is going on which bit of it and for how long? Which strength and conditioning coach? Which physio? Like working out and mapping out my coach programme, that, you know, that, that was exactly the same as what we had to do with the players. Yeah. And the coaches are the same. Like I've got coaches who wish they were at the World Cup, but they're coming out to the Ashes and they can't do both. Look, I understand where Mo Bobak comes from to juggle all of these formats and the players and try to keep them fresh. But I just never really thought rest and rotation would work. To players, selection is key. It maintains team morale. You have to have faith in that selection process. And each cap is precious. Why let someone else take your place and then pretend to be happy about it? And then there's the fans too, paying top dollar to come along and see the best players in action, or at least that's what they expect. Anyway, we've looked at the detail of all the planning that goes into an Australian tour, but in the year leading up to an Ashes, things don't always go to plan. I want to make it clear that I'm not racist and I'm not sexist. I deeply regret my actions and I'm ashamed of making such a mark. And then I remember getting a text message at about eight o'clock from Ashley Giles saying, we need to get on a call at nine. More than anything, I just want my friend to be okay. That's next time on Project Ashes. Match of the Day. Top 10 podcast. Gary Lineker here to bring you a little message. Match of the Day. Top 10 podcast is back once again exclusively on BBC Sounds. It's too late for me now, my yeah. friend. Yeah, it's too yeah. late. It's I was going to get some more dates for Match of the Day then. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, myself, Alan, and the busiest man in football punditry, Micah Richards, return for Series 5. He was never going to Man City. Man, Man United could never, ever have allowed Cristiano Ronaldo to have gone to Manchester City. The Match of the Day Top 10 podcast, only available on BBC Sounds.